Good morning, everyone. Great to see you guys today as we kick off a new series called You Belong. You know, one of my favorite Christmas traditions began to form for me when I was in my 20s. Lana's parents host a Christmas Eve party at their home in Beulahville, North Carolina. It's filled with family and friends and amazing food. The evening is capped with a fireworks show. People from all over the community drive over and park alongside the street and watch. The evening is jam-packed with fun and love and making memories. Those evenings hold some of the most priceless moments for Lana, her siblings, her parents, and now for our kids and for me. And I know you have a lot of Christmas traditions and memories that you love, and I hope you have a wonderful Christmas season as it kicks off in full swing. I hope that this year is the best Christmas you've ever experienced in all of your life. I hope it's filled with wonder and love and magic. But honestly, Christmas is difficult for me. It's always been difficult. As much as I love Christmas and enjoy the traditions and memories we've made as a family, for me, Christmas is mixed with melancholy. I find myself lost in time listening to Christmas songs, shadows of blue emotions I felt when I was eight, nine, and ten years of old visit me every year. Memories of where I was and what I was doing dance through my mind even now. Part of it is because during my formative years as a child, I was often lonely and confused. And Christmas is marketed as a family affair, and that's the very thing that I wanted so much as a child. I just wanted an intact family and, and create our own memories and create our own traditions and stay in the same home year after year and put up the tree in the same place. And I never got to enjoy those things. For a few key years of my young life, I felt disconnected. I felt forgotten. And I felt it more so at Christmas than any other season. So Christmas and I have an awkward relationship. And I, I guess there's a few of you who feel similar, not exactly the same. I mean, we're different. Your story isn't mine. But still, as I was sharing just a little bit, I mean, just the surface of how I experienced Christmas as an adult, some of that resonated within you. Your life, your habits, beliefs, lifestyles, choices you've made, the corners you've turned, the relationships you have found and lost, brought you to a place where you feel a little disconnected. You look at the church, preachers, God, religion, and something just feels a little off. You're a kind of a third wheel. You're a square peg, you know, in search of the round hole. Or like me, you're lonely in the middle of a crowd of people. And that's not because you're unlovable or dirty or unkind or whatever, but because you simply don't fit the mold. You, you don't march to the beat of the system. You know the system, right? Married, two kids, picket fence, 401K, Planet Fitness membership, minivan, Stanley Cup, you know, all the things that go with the system. And that's not you. You're divorced and have custody arrangements, or you chose not to get married, or you're done with men and women in general, or you've gone through a few marriages and none of them seem to work out. Or, this is interesting, you have the marriage and the kids and the fence and the image on the outside, but inside, you just feel awkward, almost like you're playing a part. And it's not a bad part. I mean, you're not a hypocrite, but for some reason, you just feel out of step with who you project on the outside. 
Or maybe you have a painful story, I don't know, one of trauma and abuse and addiction and a variety of things, and you're not sure where you stand when it comes to God and Christianity. Some parts make sense, some parts not so much. Well, if I describe you, I mean, if that's who you are, if you feel lonely, isolated, marginalized, stepped over, or none of the above, but who you are and where you've been and what you've experienced makes you wonder whether you truly fit inside of a church and you're not sure you are welcome in God's kingdom, I want you to hear me very well. You belong here. Now, why do I say that? Because I'm trying to be edgy or controversial or trying to grow our numbers? No, here's why I say it. At the epicenter of the message of Jesus, the cornerstone of the mission of the kingdom of God is a radical, upending, transformative, tradition-shattering inclusion of people like you and me. I mean, if we scrape away the veneer of cultures, push over the different styles of music and dress, lay aside preferred ways of doing things under all the nuances and distinctions, shades and colors, at the core of the message of Christ, you will find a large flashing sign reading, whoever you are, whatever you've become, you are welcome here. As clearly as I know how to say it, Jesus does not simply open the door for us. He slams it open and props it open so it won't shut again. He does not merely add more seats to the table so you and your friends and family can sit down. No, he inserts a thousand leaves so people are sitting as far as our eyes can see. This is the heart of Christmas. This is the hope of Christmas. Christmas is an announcement to all people from every walk of life, from each culture and language, tradition and custom, from the house next door to every hamlet and hilltop around our world. Christmas says in no uncertain terms, you belong. Now let's go to the source, the traditional Christmas story as told in Luke chapter 2. Listen as I read this to you. Since Joseph belonged to David's house and family line, he went up from the city of Nazareth in Galilee to David's city called Bethlehem in Judea. He went to be enrolled together with Mary, who was promised to him in marriage and who was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for Mary to have her baby. She gave birth to her firstborn child, a son, wrapped him snugly and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the guest room. Now, I want you to pay very careful attention to what happens next. We have read this story and heard this story told over and over that it kind of just rolls off our tongue as we begin to tell it, and we already know what's going to happen, so some of the kind of surprise and the emotional grip is kind of gone because we know what's going to happen next. But I want you to pay very careful attention to what happens next because here's where we come into the story. Nearby, shepherds were living in the fields, guarding their sheep at night. The Lord's angel stood before them. The Lord's glory shone around them. You need to see this. The first announcement of the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. 
God wrapped in human flesh. The first declaration of the long-awaited promise had been fulfilled. Every man and woman of God in the Old Testament, every single man and woman of God in the Old Testament were looking forward to this moment. This is the occurrence a thousand other occurrences led to. This is the crescendo. This is the moment God drops from heaven into earth, comes into a point in time in our word world. This moment was not delivered to governors or kings or rulers or the wealthy or the powerful or the aristocrat class of the day. When God proclaimed his entrance into this fleshly, fallen, temporal world, he first did so through shepherds. And it was intentional. The angels didn't randomly choose a spot on the earth to sing, and they just so happened to show up in a field mixed with a bunch of shepherds and sheep. They didn't say, oh, goodness, let's try this again. Maybe we can find a cathedral to fall into, or maybe we can find a better neighborhood to do this. No, 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 it was intentional. The angels purposefully chose to appear to shepherds first. Why? The upside-down nature of God's kingdom. Shepherds were common folk. They were hardworking, lower class, less educated people. They didn't have social clout. They were typically poor. They were far from the expected recipients of the maiden announcement from angels that the long-awaited prophesied Messiah had arrived. And that says a lot about God and about Jesus and about the message. We'll come back to the Christmas story in a moment. I want us to skip ahead in history and then we'll come back, all right? Let's go to the first sermon Jesus preached when he entered into his ministry years. This first sermon is called the Sermon on the Mount, and it's recorded for us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I want to read to you the very beginning of this sermon in Matthew chapter 5, because I want you to see how Jesus frames his entire kingdom. He's getting ready to start his ministry. This is his first sermon, and this is how he sets the whole thing up. Matthew 5, beginning at verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These first few statements from Jesus referred to as the Beatitudes, and many of you have heard them over and over again if you were raised in church. This introduction to his sermon in Matthew 5 lets us know who belongs in God's kingdom. This was Jesus' inaugural sermon. This launched his ministry. This framed his entire message. And for a long time, but very important, for a long time, I thought Jesus was challenging his disciples to become like the people he outlined in his sermon. 
In other words, become poor in spirit, become meek, become merciful, become a peacemaker. And if you will become these things, then you will be a blessed man, a blessed woman. In fact, for years, I preached it that way. I would get up and read that and it says, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then I would give you three ways where you can become poor in spirit or blessed are the peacemakers. And then I would help you become more of a peacemaker. And if you achieve these things and if you become these kinds of people, then you will be a blessed man, a blessed woman. I thought he was prescribing what the people listening needed to do in order to become a blessed person. Now, I realize he wasn't prescribing what people were to become. He was describing who made up his kingdom. This is a radical departure from prescribing what a person must do in order to achieve and get into God's kingdom. You must become weak. You must become pure in heart. No. On that day, when Jesus presented this sermon, he looked around at the people who had gathered around And listening to this message, he was announcing that his kingdom was radically different than any kingdom that had ever come before it. He was saying that those of you who are poor in spirit, you are the ones who make up my kingdom. Those of you who are mourning, you are the ones who make up my kingdom. Those of you who are meek, you are the ones who make up my kingdom. His kingdom wasn't for the wealthy and the powerful and the well-connected. It wasn't for the great landowners and prosperous business executives and privileged people in positions of power. It wasn't for the politicians and the religious professionals. No, 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 no. You know who God's kingdom is for? It was for the street cleaners, the hotel maids, the dishwasher, the bartenders, the minimum wage workers. It was designed for the startup business owner struggling to make ends meet, the widows, the disappointed, the people who are trying to make the world a better place but are always outnumbered and outspent by the other side. His kingdom was for those who had broken dreams, busted hearts, and those who work hard to love their families and pay their bills and wonder when all their hard work is going to pay off. His kingdom is for the single mom whose feet and legs are sore from working two jobs, the disappointed divorced dad whose plans for a peaceful family went into the sewer a long time ago, the orphans who dream of a family, the slaves who dream of freedom, the immigrants who dream of a new opportunity, and the prisoners who dream of a second chance. That's who his kingdom is made up of. And Mary saw this so clearly in Luke chapter 1 when an angel appeared to Mary and revealed to her that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah, that in her womb was going to come, through her womb was going to come Jesus the Messiah. She broke out in praise. And in Luke chapter 1, listen to what she says from verses 50 through 55. She says, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's, she's telling us what God is like. He, he scatters those who are proud in their inmost hearts, thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. Do you see his kingdom? He brings down the powerful. He exalts those who are lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, 
but sent the rich away empty. When's the last time you heard a sermon that actually looked at wealthy people and said God's kingdom disperses you, sends you away empty, and brings in those who are broken and poor? He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. That's Mary, this little girl, pregnant with the Son of God, extolling what God has done for her and what this means and what kind of kingdom God is building. His kingdom was different than any kingdom that had ever come before it. And why the first announcement about Christmas came to shepherds? Why? Because I don't know of a better representative of the kind of people God's kingdom is designed for than shepherds. Lower class, lower educated, no power, no clout, nothing to gain by telling them first. And this should encourage you. Because a few of you do not think you belong because you don't have the right pedigree, the right connections, the right moral strength. You look back at your history and you see your your history dotted with failures and times that you've made promises and broke those promises. And you've walked down some aisles and committed yourself to a person forever and that didn't work out. And you took a job thinking this was gonna be your big breakthrough and that didn't happen. And you have kids and now they've kind of grown up and they got some of your character traits and you look at them and you think, ah, I should have been a better dad. I should have been a better mom. And you've got all these regrets and all this stuff kind of collecting inside of you and you don't think that you are the kind of person that would ever fit well into God's kingdom. You got too many sins, you got too many mess-ups. And you compare yourself to the couples who stay married and whose kids go on to accomplish so much and who don't struggle with the vices you struggle with. You simply do not think of yourself as being qualified. Is that you? When you look at your life, you feel as if you don't belong You might tag along, you might even be drug along, but you don't really feel as if you really belong. Let's pause this message for a moment. It's part of the message, but I want to kind of take a shortcut or a little little jettison out a little bit because I want to talk to those of you who have these thoughts running through your head that you just aren't worthy, that somehow you don't fit into God's kingdom. I've noticed a few reasons why people think this way. I'm going to give you three big ones. Then we'll jump back to the Christmas story. The first reason a lot of people feel the way that I just described is simply you're too hard on yourself. You simply have a deflated view of who you are and what you're worth. Listen carefully. This is not the heart of today's message, so I won't spend a lot of time with it, but it's important enough that I have to mention it. You have invaluable worth. I know you see your flaws and your failures and your bumps and your bruises. I know you keep track of the times that you've missed the mark and the times you've fallen short at achieving your goals. I know. But I think we can all agree life is difficult, right? Parenting is difficult. And all the parents said, amen. Relationships are difficult. Marriage is difficult. Dating is difficult. Jobs are difficult. Life is difficult. Many of you have made a lot of mistakes, but you're not the same person today as you were when you made so many of those mistakes. You've learned, you've grown, and if you could do it over again, you would, and you would do it better 
Hey, that's called experience. None of us have it figured out. And we all have failures. And we all have things of our past that we would go back and do differently. But here's the truth. If every single person's flaws and every single person's failures in this room were known by everybody else, ain't none of us that would be filled with pride. You're too hard on yourself. Number two, you've allowed others to define you. I won't go into this too far. We talked about this in more detail last week, but a few of you didn't hear the message last week, and I think, hey, we can all be reminded of this, so again, I'm gonna insert it anytime I can into a message. If I can make it fit, I will. You are not who people say you are. Other people should never define you. People are emotional, and their love and their approval of you changes like the weather. If you attach how you see yourself to another person, you will be miserable for most of your life. I've had people who said they love me and would be with me until the end suddenly change their minds and treat me like a plague in a matter of a few months. I have made and lost friends again and again. That's life. That's people. That's reality. One of the most difficult things to accept is reality. We would rather have a fantasy world. We would rather believe that the world is, is, is like this. It, you know, everything makes sense if you can just figure it out and, and people are predictable and if you do well, you'll succeed and if you apologize, people will forgive you and if you mess up, people will be compassionate. Wake up. That's not reality. Forget what people think about you. It doesn't matter how a group of people define you. You failed? Okay. Who hasn't failed? Get up. Learn from it. Move forward. People walked away? Yeah, that's people. People are finicky. Their love and acceptance of you rises and falls on their emotions. That's life. That's reality. Get used to it or you will die discouraged. Number three. Your image of God is distorted. And I'm passionate about this. Far too many people sitting in churches today have a distorted, crooked, misleading, inaccurate image of God. And how you view God is how you view everything and everyone. Somewhere back in your past, I don't know where, maybe when you were a child, when you were a teenager, I have no idea, but somewhere back there, somebody created a confusing image of God for you. And this image is of a God who is harsh, demanding, condemning, and terrifying. So when you look at yourself, and then you look at this God, you feel dirty, you feel guilty, you feel judged, you feel humiliated, and you want to hide. Well, I don't have time to unravel your distorted view of God and rebuild it. I wish I did. But I will say this much. God is exactly like Jesus. There is no difference whatsoever. Jesus only did what he saw his father do. So if you want to understand who God is, study Jesus. If you want to know how God thinks, study Jesus. If you want to know how God feels about those who break laws, who sin, study Jesus. He is exactly like Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, here's what you will quickly notice. Two things. 
The only qualification you must have to experience a resurrection to eternal life is to be dead. That should be encouraging. So if you are emotionally, relationally, spiritually, and morally dead, you are exactly the kind of person Jesus is looking for. So be encouraged. It seems to me you are more than qualified. And number two, with Jesus, everything's upside down. So the last is first and the first is last. So you are at the bottom? You're at the bottom of the list? Are you the last one in line? If so, then you are moved to the top of the list and escorted to the front of the line. So rid yourself of these inferior gods and embrace with absolute passion Jesus and study him and follow him. You'll see how this comes about full circle in just a moment. Let's go back to the shepherds, back to the Christmas story. Nearby, shepherds were living in the fields, guarding their sheep at night. The Lord's angels stood before them. The Lord's glory shone around them. And how did they respond? And they were terrified. Any of us in this room, I promise you, anybody watching right now, anybody would be terrified if we experienced this sight. You got to put yourself in their place. I mean, the image we have a lot of times is obviously little kids that come up on stage and they got their little, you know, hooks, the little shepherd's hook, and they got their towels around their head and, you know, they're kind of all, you know, gathered around these little animals. And that's kind of the image we have in our mind. But I want you to put yourself into the place of these shepherds. They don't know the story. They don't know how things are going to happen. They're experiencing it for the first time. So you are a shepherd a poor, lowly shepherd, and you're out taking care of sheep. And you've done this for many other nights. And you're sitting on the ground, maybe with your back propped up against a tree, listening to the sheep. You're flipping through Instagram and TikTok, laughing at the new video that everybody else is talking about. And all of a sudden, the sky opens, and the most brilliant white light shines forth to the point that you are covering your eyes. And when your eyes finally adjust, you notice an angel in front of you, and the angel begins to talk to you. How do you think you would respond? Terrified. I'd be terrified. I mean, one moment you are in the dark listening to the sounds of sheep, possibly dozing off, and the next moment the entire sky is lit up and an angel is talking. Fear would happen, confusion, wondering if the world was coming to an end, promising yourself you're never going to drink grandma's homemade brew again. So the shepherds are awestruck, shocked into terror. And throughout Scripture, anytime people were exposed to God's presence in its purest form, they experienced fear, shock and awe, yes, but something else much deeper is going on. When any of us are exposed to absolute beauty, purity in its rawest form, power beyond comprehension, our ugliness, our impurities, our weaknesses are wide open for all to see. So immediately when something like that happens, there is a fear and a desire to cover and protect ourselves from what is revealing us. That's Adam and Eve in the garden. They ran and hid from God because his presence revealed their flaws. But listen to what the angel says in response to their terror. You've got to hear this. These, these, these shepherds are trembling. They are terrified at what they're seeing. Listen to how the angel responds. This should encourage you. The angel said, don't be afraid. Easy for you to say, angel. 
You live in the light and power all the time. I don't. I sit with sheep all night. Why should we not be afraid? And this is so important. This is so key. I put myself in this place and I see this and I'm telling you, this is just so important that we grab a hold of this. This is why we shouldn't be afraid. The angel sends back to the shepherds this message. Look, you don't have to be afraid because I bring good news to you. Wonderful, joyous news for all people. In other words, what I had to give you was not judgment. I'm not here to provide a list of all the ways you have failed God and failed one another. I don't have a catalog of every evil thought you've had and impure motives and promises that you've broken. No, I have good news. I have wonderful news. And I have joyous news for who? All people. Now, let's face it. Most news events labeled as good news is typically not good news to the poor and to the outcast and to the marginalized. Most good news is designed for well-connected people, for the extremely wealthy or for those who have a lot of investments or are part of global superpowers around our world. Most good news sounds like this. Taxes are cut. Investments have gone uh, uh, up. Interest rates are lowered. It's a great time to buy a house. Our country won the war. Our candidate got the most votes. Our sports team is number one. Rarely is there good news for the poor. Rarely is there good news to those who are in a lot of debt. Rarely is there good news for those who are in bondage of slavery, the prisoners, the hurting, the forgotten, the trampled upon. Rarely is there good news for all people. But Christmas is good news for all people. That's what makes this announcement so amazing. And he goes on. That's not it. It's not just good news for all people, but listen to this. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. Finally, the long-awaited Messiah is here. God wrapped in flesh. God, the creator and sustainer of all things, has arrived to save, to heal, to deliver, to bring freedom to all people. The angel said, don't be afraid, but what? Look. Look. We're going to get to that in a moment. Look. I bring good news to you. Wonderful, joyous news for all people. Look. Some translations use the word behold. It means to pay attention, to intensely see, to clearly perceive what's going on. It's imperative. You've got to see this. It's important that you look. Why? Why? Why must we look? Why must we behold? Why must we be perceptive? Because when you look, when you see, if you really perceive, you won't be afraid. You know why? Because your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. This is why you don't have to be afraid. Oh, it gets better. Watch this. This is why you don't have to be afraid. The long-awaited God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the God of the prophets, the God who spoke everything into existence, the God who always struck fear inside of you when you were a little child and you did something wrong, 
the one who holds everything and sustains everything in the palm of his hand, the God before whom the secrets of all people are revealed, that God, you know where you will find him? You will find him as a newborn baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. Of what do you have to be afraid? This God of the ages has taken all of his power, all of his beauty, all of his might, all of his glory, all of his holiness, all of his creative power, and put it all down into a little tiny, fragile, cold, hungry, sleepy baby. Go look. Go and behold. Go and perceive, and you will see you don't have any reason to be afraid. And suddenly, a choir begins to join the angels. A great assembly of the heavenly forces was with the angel praising God, and they said, glory to God in heaven and on earth, peace among whom his favor he favors. And when the angels return to heaven, the whole thing just kind of wraps up and they're gone. The shepherds say to each other, let's go right now to Bethlehem and see what happened. And go, let's go to Bethlehem and what? See what happened. We got to go see this for ourselves. Let's go see what happened. Let's confirm what the Lord has revealed to us. And they went quickly and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw this, they reported what they had been told about this child. And everyone who heard it was amazed at what the shepherds told them. Now, folks, I don't know how you read stories in the Bible, but here's how I read them. I put myself in the story. I imagine myself being there. I, I try my best to kind of imagine the scenery and what's going on, and this person says this, and this person says that, and how people might have been feeling in those moments. I imagine the shepherds being so excited when the angel reveals the Messiah is born that they hurry to Bethlehem beside themselves, almost giddy with excitement. And when they find Mary and they find Joseph and the baby, just as the angel said, they are overcome with emotion. They're standing around. Some shepherds are just standing there looking at the manger. Other shepherds might be kneeling. A few shepherds may have sat down somewhere comfortably and just kind of processing everything they've experienced that night. For just a little while earlier, you know, the angels come and boom, all this happens and their mind is blown. And now they're standing and looking and kneeling at this little baby that is the God of the universe. It's overwhelming. And it is... In my mind, I just wonder if maybe one of the shepherds, overflowing with joy, slowly raises his hand when the time's right. And Joseph notices the shepherd and says, yes, you, you have a request? And the shepherd says, I do. And Joseph says, well, go ahead, what, what's your request? And he just kind of very sheepishly, you know, just kind of says, well, I was just thinking, I mean, if it would be okay when you think it's all right, I'm not rushing anything, and if it's not too much trouble, do you think maybe I, I could hold God? Sure, Joseph says. And the God of the ages, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
the one who spoke to Moses from the burning bush, the one who said, let there be light, and there was light, has gently passed from Mary to Joseph, and Joseph hands the great I am to a lowly, meek, and poor shepherd. And maybe the shepherd said, you know, for the first time in my life, I feel like I belong. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. You belong and I belong and we all belong. And Mary committed these things to memory and considered them carefully. The shepherds returned home glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And everything happened just as they had been told. Listen, I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know the paths that you've taken to get where you are. I'm sure if you had the ability to go back, you would change a few of those paths. I'm sure if you could, you'd go back and make some different decisions. And maybe if you made a few different decisions, you'd be a little further down the road here or a little further down the road there. Maybe you would have a little more of this and have a little less of that. But none of that is what's true about you. What's true about you is you're here today and all the decisions you've made, you've made. And all the problems you face, you face. And all the things going on in your life, they're real, they're there. But I just believe that in this message today, God has something to say to you. And what he wants to say to you is no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter who you've become, no matter the mistakes, no matter the sins, you belong. And in your heart of hearts, if you would just go to him and drag all your mess and drag all your sin and drag all your mistakes and drag all your past and just lay them before him, he won't kick you out. He won't step on you. He won't judge you. He will love you. And he will open the door and say, welcome home. He will spread the table wider so you can get in. That's who God is. That's who he is. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you when you came to this earth when you fulfilled all the prophecies the thousands of years before, you appeared first, the shepherds. Lowly, meek shepherds. Shepherds who didn't think they would probably ever accomplish much, and yet here they are in your eternal word that we read about thousands of years later. Shepherds who didn't feel as if they accomplished too much, and yet they are the first ones that hear about the Messiah being born. They are the ones who see him first. They're the ones who might have even held him first. How incredible is that, that the story, the gospel, is just filled with stories just like that. Shepherds who don't seem to deserve anything, they get front row seats. That's your kingdom. And Father, there are people sitting in this room, there are people watching online, they feel so far removed from you. God, I pray today's message just grabs a hold of their hearts and just sinks the truth so deep down inside of them. 
that they are forever changed. We honor you today. We love you. We worship you. And if there's a person in this room or someone watching online and they have never taken a step toward you by faith, they've never placed their trust in you, they've never said, here I am with all my mistakes and all my sins, change me, make me, cleanse me, wash me. Father, sitting right here in a seat or sitting on their couch at home or outside on their porch as they're listening to this message. Father, in this moment, you can help them see what those shepherds saw so long ago. Your glory, your beauty, your righteousness, your purity wrapped in a small, fragile baby given to us. That's how much you love us. Speak into our lives and change us. Transform us. Birth us over. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so glad you're here today. I feel so honored that you've come to be a part of what we are doing. We're going to celebrate communion at this time. And if you are newer to Forest Park, you said, I've never participated in this here at Forest Park before. It's very simple. We have a station set in the back here, a station set in the back there. We have some bread and juice on each table. You don't have to be a member of Forest Park. You don't have to give a certain amount of money. You don't have to do any of that. We have an open communion, which means that if you want to participate, you are welcome to do so. And Carter Beth is going to sing in just a moment, just a reprise from one of our songs earlier. And while she sings, I'm going to walk off and just stand over there. And when I do, you can get up and go back and take a piece of bread and take the juice and come back to your seat. About two minutes or so, I'll come back out and lead us through taking the bread and juice together. Real simple. If you do not want to participate in it, you don't have to. No one's going to judge you or look down at you. We just give an open invitation. We do this here at Forest Park the first Sunday of every month. That's how we do it. That's how we celebrate here, all right? So as they begin to sing, you're welcome to go. Come back. I'll lead you through, and then we'll be dismissed together in just a few moments. I want to be close to you. I want to be close to you. There's nothing in this world that compares to all you are. I want to be close to you. There's nothing in this world that compares to all you are. My soul devotion, my only focus to worship you. My life surrendered, my heart abandoned. For more of you, my soul devotion, my only focus to worship you. My life surrendered, my heart abandoned for more of you. 
If you will, please take the uh, bread in your hand, and I'm going to pray over this moment. Father, as we hold this bread in our hand, it represents the body of your son Jesus given for us. And Father, each time that we take this and we move our way through these elements, your word tells us that we proclaim your death until you return. That sounds so morbid when we hear that, but what it means is that we are proclaiming the good news of what your life and your death and resurrection accomplished for us. So Father, as we hold this bread in our hand, it represents so much. In his body, we find healing. In his body, we find comfort. In his body, we find rest. And Father, every time we gather together in the literal body of Christ here in this room and partake together the body represented in the bread. It's just bringing everything together. It's just this sense of oneness of coming together in your church. So Father, I pray blessings on this moment, blessings on every person who partakes it. May it be so much more than just bread, so much more than just a taste. But Father, it's a reminder of what you've done for us, a reminder of what you've accomplished for us, and we are proclaiming the gospel, the good news, every single time we take it. Bless this moment in Jesus' name. Please partake the bread together. And then take the cup in your hand and let me pray. Father, this cup represents the blood of your son Jesus, and in his blood there's life and hope. There's cleansing every sin we've committed, every stain on our past, his blood washes clean. There's nothing we've ever done. We've never gone too far from his grace. We've never gone too deep that his love cannot reach us and pull us back up. Thank you. And this cup is just a representation of exactly what all that means. And we together are proclaiming the beauty that is found in the life of Christ, the life that is found in his blood. Bless this moment as we partake it together in Jesus' name. Please partake the cup together. And let me pray just a general prayer for everyone. Father, I pray blessings on every person here. Bless their family. Bless their home. Bless their jobs. Bless the responsibilities they have this week and all the things this week will bring our way. Father, we want to rest in your presence. We want to rest in your grace, knowing that no matter what we experience, you are with us and you will never walk away. You will never leave us. Remind every single person of that this week because sometimes things happen and we forget it. Sometimes things happen and we lose sight. Remind us this week of your presence and how all of us belong because of Christmas. We thank you and we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, before you go today, I'm going to close it out by just a few things.
things that I want to let you know about. First of all, if you're new here, we'd love to know that you're, this is your first time with us. Or maybe you've been here a few times that you've never filled out one of our welcome home cards and turned it in. You can do it manually by taking one of the cards, fill it out, take it to the new information center right on your way out the door today. We've got a box there. It's a gift to say thank you for being with us today. It's free of charge. If you'd rather fill it out digitally, it's much easier for everybody if you'll do that. On your phone, you can do it in about 20 seconds. Hit send and pick up your gift on the way out, and we'll get a record that you've been here, and I can get contact you just to say thank you for coming and being a part. So love to know that you've been here. Also, our angel project. Uh, Preston talked about that during our giving time. We've got a few cards left on the, on the window. If you haven't taken a card, please go by and consider being a part of the Angel Project this year. Maybe you've picked up one card. You can take a couple more. Hey, it's a wonderful thing to do. Bring the gifts back wrapped, and we'll deliver those to the schools this coming um, over the next couple of weeks. Also, Mary, uh, the Mary Stellar Christmas program that's coming up on December 20th. Kid Venture Kids are going to be doing a program in here of everybody to come out at Who Will and support our kids and let them know how much we love them. They're working hard on the music. They're going to be singing in here on the 17th and then the 20th, which is the Wednesday evening. They're going to do the program in here, and we'd love to have you come and be a part of that. Last thing I'll say before we go, Christmas Eve is on the Sunday this year. It's the 24th. We are going to have two services that morning, 9 and 11, just like we normally normally do. What a wonderful time to have Christmas Eve service here. Remember the whole meaning of Christmas, worship together. I'm going to bring the message that morning before all the festivities start that evening and the next day at Christmas. We'd love to have you come and be a part. Invite a friend, invite a family member to come. People will always, or at least they're more open to coming on Christmas Eve like that. So invite them, have them come, and let's have an incredible Christmas Eve together as we celebrate the birth of Christ, all right? I hope you have an incredible day. Thank you so much for being with us.